Welcome to PwC's Next in Health podcast. I'm Ben Isker, leader of PwC's Health Research Institute. And today, my co-host is Trina Tsideros, who leads HRI's Regulatory Center. Welcome, Trina. Great to be here, Ben. Well, awesome. Well, we have a special guest today, Aaron McAllister, who covers pharma and life sciences for the Health Research Institute. So welcome, Aaron. Hi, Ben. Today, we brought Aaron on to talk about one of our latest releases around what pharma might expect from the FDA and CMS. And I know for our longtime listeners on this podcast, you've heard a lot about vaccine-related issues, the pandemic, policy issues. We're going to double-click into what's happening with a couple of the big regulatory agencies that oversee much of what we've been talking about and what we may expect in the coming year. So this report covers many of the regulatory agencies that oversee some of the pandemic response, vaccines, drug development, and other important innovations in our health system. One of the things that we know is that a lot likely will not get done legislatively because the Democrats have narrow majorities in both the House and in the Senate. It really is 48 Democrats, two independents who vote with the Democrats typically, and the tie-breaking vote by Vice President Kamala Harris. And so, Aaron, we expect most of the action is going to be at the agency level. And I'm wondering if you can talk about what we might expect out of the FDA in the next couple of years. What are some of the policies, especially some of these things are influenced by the pandemic. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what we might expect. Sure. Thanks, Trina. So beyond the pandemic, I think the real theme for what we could see out of the FDA over the next year or so is really about broadening and standardizing some of the practices and policies that were implemented in response to the pandemic. And by that, I mean things like broader use of expedited review pathways, really addressing diversity in clinical trials and ensuring that historically underrepresented populations are more adequately represented in clinical trials. And then, you know, obviously we've continued to see increased emphasis on this medical supply chain, improving the visibility that the agency has into that and bringing some stability to it. Other issues that we're keeping an eye on as we've seen recent developments around FDA's regulation of digital products, as well as sort of what the next chapter might be for laboratory developed tests known as LDTs this was kind of tossed into a bit of uncertainty in the waning days of the Trump administration. And so we would expect over the next near term to get a better sense of the FDA's role in the regulation of, of those types of diagnostics. Well, Aaron, Trina brought up an interesting question around, you know, divided government and, and what do we expect to see? And there's always that question of when you have intense political polarization, does that really trickle down into the agencies. And I believe you took a look at this. So what did you find, Aaron, when it comes to kind of politics and the FDA? Yeah, what we found is that when you looked at the FDA policies and um, sort of FDA productivity as measured by guidance documents produced by the agency, drug approvals, et cetera, that the FDA has largely been on an upward trend despite divisions in Congress 
And we've even seen laws passed when we've had congressional divides, laws that were largely favorable of the FDA and industry. And this also spans the time of different commissioners appointed by Democratic as well as Republican presidents since 2013. So I think that FDA has, despite the sort of political polarization that we've seen, FDA has largely been able to kind of stay above the fray, so to speak. There's some criticism of the FDA in moving too slow to grant EUAs to certain vaccines. And if you look at what the timelines typically have been, the FDA has been moving incredibly fast during the pandemic. And I think, Erin, you guys took a look at that. And so I wonder if you can give us a little bit of a sense of that, of how just how quickly the FDA has been moving when it comes to reviewing applications for therapeutics and vaccines during the pandemic. What we did is we looked at the novel therapies that were authorized, so remdesivir and the antibodies and the like, where they weren't previously available, weren't being repurposed. And when we looked at the review timelines for these therapeutics, as well as the vaccines, we're talking days or weeks, perhaps, compared to the months you might see with some other product approvals, even with some expedited review pathways, where it, it is more about months, you know, three months prior to COVID seemed really fast. And you're talking about review timelines of three to six months for even the most expedited reviews prior to COVID. And during, obviously during pandemic times, days feel like weeks, but it is still largely unprecedented to see the speed with which FDA acted. A mean of 38 days for the the therapies and 20 for the vaccines. So really quite unprecedented. Well, I want to change focus just a little bit to one of diversity, and it was something you mentioned at the top of the podcast that that was going to be a focus of the FDA, diversity, especially around clinical trial participation. What are you seeing on that? Any good news from some of our research? Yeah, so HRI actually conducted a consumer survey last September where we asked consumers if they would be willing to participate in a trial for COVID-19 therapies. And what we found is that Black and Latinx Americans were more willing and interested to participate in studies of COVID-19 therapies than the white consumers surveyed. And it's quite interesting because FDA during the pandemic has worked with manufacturers to try to enroll more Black and Latin Americans into the studies because they're often the ones who have faced the more severe consequences and outcomes from COVID-19. And the other interesting thing is it is surprising because we typically will see in trials that are more global trials where there can be a lack of representation at times by some of these Black and Latin minorities. So it was interesting to see that in our survey data. One other aspect of this whole pandemic experience has been a greater scrutiny on the supply chain of medical products in general. And I know the FDA is going to be putting some focus on that. I wonder, Erin, if you can talk a little bit about what we expect out of the Biden administration, FDA, when it comes to supply chain. Yeah, absolutely. So we have already seen the FDA put out a products shortage list for medical devices and PPE, which we hadn't seen prior to the pandemic. 
And we expect to continue this emphasis on improving the visibility. Acting Commissioner Janet Woodcock has even said on you know social media about the need for suppliers to know their suppliers' suppliers. And so this idea of greater visibility into the supply chain at the same time, FDA has long championed advanced manufacturing as a means to really shorten the supply chain. And so they've continued efforts in that respect through partnerships with the National Institute of Science and Technology to really build frameworks around advanced manufacturing. And so I would expect those to all continue under the Biden administration. Aaron, it's not just the FDA that impacts the pharma and life sciences industry. You know, everyone has to run on payment and reimbursement. So CMS has some influence as well. And I was wondering if you could talk to us a bit about what you found in the report on drug spending trends under Medicare, both parts B, which are the drugs that are typically provided in a hospital or or clinic setting, and part D, which are the drugs that are provided to consumers through a retail setting. Sure, yeah. What we found is that drug costs for CMS for both of these classes of therapeutics have continued to increase and and often at double-digit rates uh, year over year for both Part B and Part D. Part B, obviously, those costs have seen double-digit growth all over the last four years each year, while Part D has been a bit more consistent in its growth patterns of, you know, between 10 and and 8% each year, excluding the, the years where we had some of the HCV drug launches and the like. So I think one of the focuses of the Trump administration was certainly drug prices, and they attempted to do some pretty bold things, especially around Part B and D. And I know the Obama administration also attempted some pretty bold experiments. So I'm wondering what we should expect out of CMS under a Biden administration, Aaron, vis-a-vis drug pricing and some of these drug pricing questions. Yeah, so I think as much as the FDA message was about broadening and standardizing, maybe taking a broader approach to policies, I think it's almost the opposite with CMS. I think we'll see very narrow, nuanced approaches to control drug spending because the one of the biggest sort of challenges with the past two proposals to kind of rein in Part B, the infused drugs spending, was that the policies were perhaps too bold, too big too broad. They were mandatory. They were not voluntary. And so we might expect to see some more narrow, very targeted experiments to bring down Part B, either within specific drug classes or within specific therapeutic areas is what we might see out of CMS. How about 340B, Aaron? What do we think might happen with that? I know that there's a intra-industry dispute over contract pharmacies. I wonder if you can talk just really briefly about what we might see there. Sure. Yeah. So I think there's been a back and forth over the, you know, the role of contract pharmacies with some pharma companies limiting their distribution of these heavily discounted drugs to one contract pharmacy per 340B entity and the hospitals sort of crying foul and and suggesting it, it it's not legal. Well, the challenge here is there isn't a legally binding document to really spell out whether or not the drug companies are violating the 340B law. And so it will really come down. This is where HHS will play a very big role 
will be in 340B because largely it will be through rulemaking where we see any any changes to the program. And Biden's nominee for HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra has already kind of tipped his hands where he, as Attorney General of California in December, issued a, a letter to HHS where he sided with 340B hospitals in this contract pharmacy debate. So one would expect that under um, the Biden administration, HHS will likely draft rules that would favor the 340B entities and provide more clarity around the role of contract pharmacies. Well, a lot to think about here in terms of what we expect from the agencies in the coming year. And I'd like to thank Aaron McAllister for joining us today to talk about that latest research and my co-host, Trina Tadaros. If you'd like more information on this report, what pharma might expect from the FDA and CMS, you can find that at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Everything we talked about today will be there, including a lot of the data and charts that you can get a visual on. And we hope you'll take a look at it to have a better understanding of some of the major policy issues that we see before us. And with that, that's Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.